You are holy, you that inhabit the praises of Israel. Your name is holy and revered, and we give thanks when we remember your holiness. Your pure eyes will not behold sin. Evil will not dwell with you. You are the rock. Your work is perfect, and all your ways are truth and judgment. You are a God of truth in whom there is no iniquity. You are a rock, and there is no unrighteousness in you. You are holy in all your works, and holiness becomes your house, O Lord, forever. You are righteous. O God, when we plead with you, you would be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Your righteousness is like the great mountains, and your judgments are a great deep. Though clouds and darkness are round about you, yet judgment and justice are the habitation of your throne. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. Your loving kindness is great toward us, and your truth endures to all generations. You have proclaimed your name, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in goodness and truth. You show mercy for thousands. You forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. And your name is our strong tower. You are good and do good, good to all. And your tender mercy is over all your works. You are good to Israel in a special way, to those with clean hearts. This morning, Lord, cause your goodness to pass before us, that we may taste and see that you are good, and always see your loving kindness. Amen. Good morning. We will be in Psalm 137 today. Uh, As you turn to Psalm 137 in your Bible, I have a question here for those in attendance. Uh, By a show of hands, raise your hand if you have scripture as art in your place of residence or in your workplace, your vehicle, or something mobile that you carry with you. Show of hands. A lot of hands raising up here of scripture in your residence or just on you, right? Um, I have a Bible app on my smartphone, and I also use uh, Instagram and Twitter, and very often I see these scripture verses and the use of these apps. These verses are usually displayed with images of beautiful scenery of God's creation or artistic background. Uh, We see this and remind ourselves of God, of who he is, his faithfulness, his love, his grace, his mercy toward us. Earlier this year, uh, we completed a home renovation project, which included a new bedroom. Um, And in this room, we have verses from the book of Lamentations. And those verses state, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So the reason I ask this question about having scripture in your home or scripture as art, uh, the reason I ask this is because I'm sure if I asked you specifically uh, what verses do you have uh, in your home or, you know, as a reminder, I'm going to be pretty confident stating you don't have Psalm 137, especially the last couple verses of the psalm that we're going to look at this morning. So before we proceed, I want to mention some reminders here about the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms are a book of prayers, hymns, songs written by Israel. It is God's inspired word. And there are several types of Psalms, and Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament. A lament expresses sorrow, suffering, or disappointment to the Lord. Psalms are poetic as well. Uh, There is deep expression of human emotions in the book, ranging from gladness to sadness, joy to grief. And in this expression of emotions, we have the use of imprecation. Imprecation is a prayer or invocation for harm or injury upon someone or some group. And we'll see that here used in this psalm. So keep this background information in mind as we begin. 
Psalm 137 comes up a lot as an example of imprecatory psalm. Um, I want us to remember these things because it is important to understand um, the context of what we're reading here this morning. It's especially important to understand context when we read difficult verses in the Bible in general. So um, let's begin. Before we begin, let's pray here one more time. Lord, uh, just as we look at Psalm 137, uh, give us wisdom, Lord, just as we read your word and help us understand uh, the word that the writer is writing here this morning. And Lord, uh, also just want to remember our pastor and his family as they take some time off. Um, give them a time of refreshing amongst uh, the time that they have together. And uh, just bless them, Lord. Amen. All right, so Psalm 137, verse 1, it begins, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. So Psalm 137 has an unknown author, and we don't have a specific time either as to when it was written, but by looking at the first verse, we can deduce a time frame here. It is when Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon. We can also state that this was a past event, as the writer is remembering this time of captivity. And we see there in the first verse, we see the, the term Zion. Uh, we see Zion used a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Zion held great significance to the Israelites. So I'm going to read several definitions here from several different Bible dictionaries that I have here. So Zion, one definition had an ancient name for the temple, for Jerusalem, Judah, and the people of God. Zion is not simply Jerusalem. Rather, Zion is a place where Yahweh lives with his faithful people in the absence of sin and danger. And I, I like that definition there. And for emphasis, Zion is the spiritual center of the whole earth and the center of their lives. So we have there a better grasp of what Zion and what it means here to the writer as he writes it here. As we continue on, verses 2 to 3 here in 137. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there are those who carried us away captive. For the, there those who carried, carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So as we continue here in this psalm, we see what the writer is lamenting here. Uh, the writer discusses the duress of the people of Israel. There is no joy here in their captivity. There is no desire to want to sing or make music. They are in lament, right? They're, in, they're held captive by Babylon. There's no no desire whatsoever to sing or make music. And in verse 3, when Israel's captors asked them to sing a song of Zion, to sing it with gladness, that's what's meant there by the word mirth. Mirth means gladness. So he says, they hung our harps, they put their musical instruments away, and they just, how can they sing one of the songs of Zion to remember it? Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So remember here as we discuss Zion's significance, their spiritual center, it's their all, everything that they worship. It represents God to them. Israel cannot fulfill this request to sing a song of Zion in a foreign land. Why? Well, here's a description of what happened to Israel when they were taken captive. This is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 52. It says here, Now in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. All the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. 
And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. Another verse here, referenced from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 19. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. So we can understand better now why the writer writes this, how Israel, they don't want to sing. They don't want to make music. They are being held captive by Babylon, and it hurts them. It hurts them right now. And as we transition here in the middle of the psalm here, verses 5 and 6, the writer is not forgotten. He says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So as we stated, we looked at earlier the term Zion and what it meant to them. Zion is also representative of God to them. Jerusalem, their home, their city, where they worship the Lord. And that latter part of verse 6, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, you know, he's saying they're not going to forget. They haven't forgotten. So even though they can't sing or make music, they have not forgotten God. They have not forgotten Zion. They remember fondly of what they had when they were able to worship God. And God has delivered them from exile. We know that as we go through the Old Testament. God has delivered them from exile. And the writer here says, you know, he's expressing here that they will not forget God. You know, may they never forget God who rescued and delivered them. And the writer here is using poetic language. Uh, Verse 5, once again, let my right hand forget its skill. Basically saying, let me forget how I play this musical instrument, this harp, this lyre here, if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget Zion. Verse 6, if I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Once again, the poetic language here, let me not be able to speak if I forget Jerusalem. Let me not be able to sing with my mouth if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget the Lord. So the writer here, we see the use of poetic language to describe that. And then we get into the latter part, the latter end here of Psalm 137. And verses um, 7 through 9 here, these are the imprecations, the imprecatory part uh, of this psalm, the psalm of lament. Uh, Reading here in verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. So as I stated, here, becomes, here begins the imprecation to the Lord. Uh, as we remember here, the imprecation is a prayer uh, asking for, um, or invocation asking for harm or injury to come upon someone or come upon some group. And this is the first part of the imprecation here, verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom. So Edom played a part in Israel's captivity here when Babylon came to take it. That is, the people of Israel. The writer is asking God to remember Edom's part here in the process of Israel, by, of them being taken captive by Babylon. And the word raise there that is used, raise means to destroy to the ground or to demolish. This is here is a reference from the Luxon Bible Dictionary more on the, um, the captivity that when Babylon came to take uh, the people of Israel and Edom's part in it. So during the Babylonian invasion of Judah in 587-586 B.C., Edom raided the Judean villages. They sent prisoners to the Babylonians, and they invaded southern Judah. And in response, um, because of Edom's actions, the biblical prophets 
castigated Edom, Edom and they pronounced their coming destruction. From the book of Obadiah, it says, uh, verse 10 here, for violence against your brother Jacob. And notice how it uses the term brother Jacob. So we know Jacob and Esau uh, in the Old Testament there, they're brothers. And Edom, uh, city, the people come from Esau. So violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. So very descriptive language here in Obadiah. We see what Edom does or what they did. They stood on the other side when they saw strangers, the Babylonians, carry captive the Israelites. When foreigners entered the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. So we see here Edom is not presented in a great fashion, great way. Verse 12, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Once again, they're just looking. They're not helping. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Not only did Edom not do anything to help Israel, they took joy in it. They took joy in them being taken captive. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity nor laid hands on their substance. So as I stated earlier, not only did they not do anything, they helped Babylon by delivering prisoners to them, and they also helped raid the city as well, um, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. So we see Edom's part in... Um, the captivity of Israel here and what they did to help Babylon. And in verse 15 of Obadiah, it says this, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. So let's remember this here in Obadiah 15. As you have done, it shall be done to you regarding Edom. So as we transition here to the end of this psalm here, verses 8 and 9, O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against, against the rock. So if we take that and we also just remember what we just read in Obadiah 15, as you have done, it should be done to you. The writer here is writing to the Lord and he's saying, repay them, repay Babylon, Babylon as they have done to us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So once again, we've got to remember Psalms is a book of poetry, and we look at this imagery here, these verses being used here. And basically, if we were to put this in you know, our terms today, basically the, the writer is saying, take their infants and smash them against the rocks, right? So that's, that's significant imagery here. And the writer here, he says, as you have done, it should be done to you. Um, this reminds me of a similar verse we look at uh, here in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, 7, it says, Galatians 6, uh, verse 7, 8, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his, see, for he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. Verse 7, I want to emphasize one more time. Do not be deceived. God is not, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. 
So that's what the writer here is writing here to the Lord. Let Babylon, what they have done, let them, what they have sowed, let them also reap. So we come to these verses here in this psalm here, 137. And the writer here, once again, is asking God to judge Babylon and have them reap what they have sown. And as they did to Israel, specifically, he asked God to have it done to them. So you may ask yourself as we come to these verses here, how can God be like this? You know, this, guy, this looks vengeful, God of vengeance, taking vengeance on babies. Well, let's look, let's look at the context here to get a better understanding of what happened when Israel was taken captive by Babylon here. This is from the book um, How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. It says, when the Babylonians finally entered the city, they killed many of the people by sword, spear, or arrow, and a lot of gruesome deaths occurred. In battle, it was common with the infants to throw them to their death as they were so small and fragile. Invading armies were not going to care for infants and children, so they regularly killed them. It's horrible and wicked, but that's what would happen in battles back then. So we get a better understanding of why the writer here at the end of the psalm is writing this, right? The author of the psalm also wrote a he writes this poem. It's a song expressing uh, their anguish and grief. And in this specific, specific line, he chose to highlight the horror of what had happened in Jerusalem by remembering the infants who were killed. So this psalm is not about God wanting to kill babies, as is often indicated in online memes or visuals. It's the deep anguish cry of a broken, mourning person in pain. It's expressed in poetic song form. It is a cry of a war prisoner who has seen great horror and death, even his or her own children and infants being killed. So as the author addresses this topic, um, I'd like he brought out the scripture reference of Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And we're going to take a look at that in context too. So just because just the way the psalm ends, right, it doesn't, it doesn't present God as a God who we, say, who we know as loving, right? Merciful and gracious towards people. But he is. That's who God is. And as we read there in Obadiah and here in the New Testament in Galatians, you know, God is not mocked. For whatever we sow, that will we also reap. Reading here from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, it says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is who God is, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. We know here that God judges sin, and we know here that God defended Israel. We look at that in the battles when Israel was trying to take the promised land, and they overtook the land they had to go through the, the settlers of the, you know, the Canaanites, uh, other people that in the promised land that God had promised to Israel. But what we see here is we do know that God is merciful and gracious. But what we see here in this psalm here is how the writer is asking God to bring judgment forth on Babylon. And that reference that I read there from Exodus 34, that's also in the opening prayer I did this morning. And I want, I want to emphasize that because that's who God is. And in taking that in full context, if you look at that uh, chapter of Exodus, verses 6 and 7, in the previous chapters before that, that's right after Israel made the golden calf to worship. When Moses was not coming, Moses was um, not coming to them, Israel thought, 
And, you know, God was not near. So what they do? They made a false god in this golden calf and they worshiped that. But yet after that time, after that incident, how does God describe himself? Lord, Lord God, merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that's who God is. We know that's who God is. But he's also a God who is holy. He's also a God who is, who is just as well. So when we read the Psalms with imprecations, what's the application for us Christians today? So I thought about this. Last November, uh, November 2020, I taught on Psalms 58 and 59, and those were also imprecatory psalms. In that teaching, I discussed how we can see these imprecations as example for us Christians as how to handle our own sins today. As an infant is small, we can justify the smallness of our sins, thinking that it is no big deal. But really, what should be our attitude towards sin? Our attitudes towards sin should be to take it and dash it against the rock, to destroy it, to take it out. Because sin is no small thing. Sin has no place in a Christian's life. The tough, ruthless, imprecatory psalms are a picture of the way in which we must deal with the real enemies of the heart. That's from Ray Steadman there. So that's one way we can take application here from this psalm today, this imprecatory psalm. We could take it and treat our sins, how the writer wanted uh, retribution to come to Babylon, take our sins and dash them against the rock to destroy it, to raise it right out of our lives. And that's what we should want as Christians. Another way to apply this imprecation in this psalm for us is, um, is from, um, I, I got this from How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. The psalm demonstrates to us how we can relate honestly to God. I enjoy this, how to be honest and open in expressing joy, expressing our disappointment, expressing our anger or any other emotion that we may have. We can go to God and express that to him. The imprecatory psalms help us when we feel anger, help us when we feel anger, not to do anger. I'll say that once again. We may feel anger, but the, these type of psalms help us to feel anger, but not to do anger. We should honestly express our anger to God, no matter how bitterly and hatefully we feel it, but let God take care of justice against those who misuse us. The proper function of this psalm, then, is to help us to not be overcome by evil, to not be overcome by evil, but to free us from our anger so that we might overcome evil with good. I'll read that one more time. It's to help us not to be overcome by evil. That's not what this, the function of this psalm is for, but it's to help us to free us from our anger that we might overcome evil with good. And that's a reference from Romans 12, 21. And that's the end of the psalm here. So um, we're almost to the end of Psalms, the book of Psalms here. And we've got to just remember these things as you read it. Uh, you know, the book of Psalms, it's a great book. It's a book of poetry. It's a book of hymnals. It's a book of songs. And they express deep, great emotion. Um, I thought about this. If you take a look at um, the way Bibles are sold today, Sometimes you'll have just a New Testament. Sometimes you just have Old and New Testament. That's the way, you know, traditional Bible is sold. But also you'll have uh, just the New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs, right? You'll have Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. You can get a Bible just with that. And as you read through the Psalms, we come upon these difficult verses that maybe say, hmm, how do we handle that? You know, what if someone came up to you and said, how can you worship a God who says, you know, to dash babies' heads against the rock? 
Well, we've got to take that in context, right? We've got to understand what we're reading there and get the bigger picture to be able to clearly explain that. So as you read the Psalms, it's always good to remember, hey, who is God? Who is God? Well, just remember uh, what we read there from Exodus 34. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He's abounding in goodness and truth. He keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. And we need to always remember that because there's going to be, you know, as the psalmist writes here in Psalm 137 about a very tough, difficult time in life, that's what we have for ourselves, right? We're not promised good times always. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through times of deep grief, deep sadness. But God is there for us, and we can express. That's why the book of Psalms is so beautiful. Beautiful. We can express our emotions to God the way these writers did, and it gives us an example of how to do that. So let's remember that as you go through the book of Psalms. Let's remember that, um, you know, as we read God's word, to, ha to have a great context for that. And also as a Christian, let's remember it in terms of how to deal with our sin. You know, for whatever man sows that, he will also reap. And as the writer once again wrote here, we should take our sins and dash them upon the rock, break them, completely destroy it, demolish it out of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this time to get through your word this morning. Um, Lord, as we go through your word and uh, help us, Lord, when we come to difficult verses, help us to remember that you are God who is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, Lord. Help us to remember these things. You are good and you do good. And as we read, Lord, as we live our lives before you, help us to taste and see that you are good as well. Amen. And before the worship team gets started, I forgot, I'm sorry, Bethany, I forgot Mrs. C wanted me to mention here with announcements, Fall Festival, um, that is Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, October the 30th, that's here at the church from 5 to 6.30 p.m., uh, free meal from 5 to 6, activities from 5 to 6.30 in the fellowship hall, we'll have carnival games, crafts, devotional things to do for the whole family. If you have any questions, I encourage you to speak to Mrs. Christensen, she's in the back, also, I don't know if we need any volunteers for anything, so I encourage you, if you want to volunteer, please also keep that in prayer. Also, I wanted to mention as well, uh, there's going to be a Thanksgiving potluck. That's already next month. It's a couple weeks away. Uh, that'll be right after the second service. That'll be on November the 7th. Please bring your favorite dish and join us in giving thanks. And just a reminder, Christmas program practice has started uh, we'll, they'll be practicing in the fellowship hall during the service here, 1030 to 1050, so please promptly drop off your children there. Children's Christmas program will be on Saturday, December the 4th. And just a reminder, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes are due Wednesday, November the 10th. And also just remember, once again, just to sign up uh, for fellowship meals. Um, encourage you to just take a look at the information on the various Bible studies that are going on. And uh, any more information, you can ask me in the back. Thank you.